with uh, an all-age service a couple of weeks ago in Easter. We've had a break from our series here in the Gospel of Mark. Today we're diving back into chapter 4. And chapter 4 is made up of four parables and a dramatic miracle. And today we're going to look at the first parable. Now earlier in Mark we've seen Jesus establish his ministry by teaching that amazed the listeners and miracles that attracted crowds. But it's got to the stage where Jesus can no longer freely teach in villages and towns. The crowds are just too big. Just walking out the door becomes an exercise in logistics and planning. So we pick up the story, Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out in the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. This is not the first time in the Gospel we see Jesus using a a floating pulpit. Verse 2, he taught them many things by parables and in his teaching and said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Now before we get into the detail of this parable, a brief mention about the importance of parables in Jesus' ministry and the importance of this particular parable. So if we skip ahead and read verse 33. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. His words make it clear that he used parables time and time again. And they had a strong appeal because they used everyday relatable situations, unlike theologians that like to talk in abstract terms. Jesus spoke in very real terms. But one of the challenges with parables is they're a little bit obscure. I mean, how many of us have read these parables and thought, well, that's interesting. I wonder what the point was. Well, it's not just you, it was everyone. So much so that Jesus' practice was to tell everybody parables and to teach, but then take his disciples aside afterwards and explain. And that's what we have exactly here. Jesus taught the parable to lots of people, but explained it only to the disciples, and we have the privilege of overhearing. Now, normally the Gospels don't record the explanations that Jesus gave his disciples. But he does it here because this parable is very key to Jesus' ministry. Of all the parables Jesus used, this one is central. It's the first parable that's identified in the Gospel as Mark as such, and it's the only one that Mark explains through the detail. And it's because this parable describes the core of Jesus' ministry. It's all about why Jesus came. And it's important for us to understand this, For the baton has been passed on to us. We need to carry on Jesus' ministry and it's very easy to get distracted. So it's important for us to understand what our core business is and stick to it. So that's the first reason this parable is very important for us. It was so central to Jesus' ministry and teaching. The second reason why this is important is because it tells us why that even when we're at the top of our game and sharing the gospel why not everybody responds in the same way. Even when we're getting it 100% right, people react differently to the gospel. And that can be very frustrating. But this parable explains why. 
So with this as a background, it's time to, to dig into the parable. And as we do, we'll focus on two things. We're going to focus on the seed. What are the characteristics that make the seed such a wonderful image for the word of God? And secondly, the soil. We're going to look at the four kinds of soil. So first of all, to the seed. Jesus helpfully explains to the disciples what the seed is. The seed is the word, the word of God, Christ's word, the word that we have in the Bible. We're not told who the farmer is exactly, but originally it would have meant Jesus. And then in a few chapters later, when Jesus sent out the disciples, then the disciples would have been the farmer sowing the seed. And since the death, resurrection and the ascension since Pentecost, it's now the church's responsibility, our responsibility to be the farmer, to sow the seed. This is not the first time or the only place that the Bible likens God's word to a seed. Helpfully, uh, we have this wonderful passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So notice how Peter, who would have listened to this parable and had it explained to him, years later, he describes the word of God, the living and enduring word of God as an imperishable seed. So, back to the parable. Why does Jesus use the image of a seed in this crucial parable? In fact, there are, out of the four parables in this chapter, three are seed-based. There's this parable, there's the parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed. Three out of four parables are seed-based. Elsewhere in the Bible, there are images of the hammer, fire and the sword. They're a bit more exciting, aren't they? Why not use those images? Why use a little bit, well, mundane? No insult to our farmers amongst us, but a more mundane agricultural image of sowing seed. Why not use the dramatic sword-wielding, hammer-striking, flame-throwing image for the word of God? Well, three reasons. There are three reasons why Jesus chooses the seed, because of the seed's power, because of its potential, and because of its planting. So, why does Jesus use the image of the seed? Because of its power. A tiny seed that you can hold in the palm of your hand has the power to split rocks and to twist iron. In the small English town of Chuan, there's an old historic church which people love to visit. But it's not because of the building, but because of a tree planted over 200 years ago. Now, a lady of wealth was buried in a marble tomb, yet she was not buried alone, for a small sycamore seed must have accidentally fallen in. There they both lay. But some years later, the marble slab over her grave was found to have moved noticeably. So the sexton did his job and moved it back and secured it. But after a time, the heavy marble slab tilted slightly to one side and in the middle there was a crack. A tiny branch of leaves started bursting through. Now that's a modern photo of the tomb from the side showing the cracks from the sycamore tree. Anyway, they fixed it again, they cemented over the crack and they kept repairing it, but the tree kept growing. They put it, even put an iron railing around the tomb, but the young tree just grew and grew and ended up snapping the iron bars and you can see the iron bars high aloft in the tree as it kept on growing. 
the iron bars that you can see now, the railings, have been built afterwards. Now that photo was at the turn of last century. Oh, the modern photo, someone's taken to it with a, with a bit of a chainsaw. <laughs> and it's not quite so spectacular. It's still worth looking at. But I thought I'd show you that old tree with uh, the tomb just split completely apart. And people still visit it today. No wonder Jesus chose the image of the seed for the word of God. Though the seed is small and can be held in our hand, it has the power to shatter rock, split marble and twist the strongest of iron. And so it is with God's word. His word seems small and powerless, just ink on paper or words on lips. But when the Holy Spirit gets hold of God's word, the word has the power to shatter the hardest heart and break through the strongest defence. So, a seed has power. It also has potential. A small seed has the genetic material needed to grow into a mature plant and to reproduce. And the potential to reproduce is staggering. Take the common pine tree, Pinus radiata. One seed from a pine cone has the ability to reproduce time and time again. One seed, if left unchecked and in ideal conditions, would cover the whole earth in pine trees. Even central Otago's hot summers and cold winters and low rainfall has not stopped wildling pines becoming a problem. In the same way, the word of God has potential to cover the whole earth. The potential in the word of God is amazing. Locked up even on this Bible here that I'm holding in my hand is the ability to reproduce and to cover the whole earth. That's why I included that passage from Isaiah 55. It's wonderful, isn't it? God's speaking and he says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Isaiah 55, 11. This talks about the potential that the word of God has. So Jesus chooses the image because of its power, its potential, but also because of its planting, how it's planted. It's time now to to consider the parable and start to look at it in detail. You may have noticed one of the key differences in the four soil is depth. How deep the seed is allowed to grow. Uh, Did you notice that the deeper the seed gets, the stronger the plant and the more the fruit. So on the hard path, there's no depth at all and the birds quickly steal away the seed. Then we come to the rocky soil, which is shallow. So the seed gets a bit deeper but quickly perishes. Then there's the thorny soil where the seed gets deeper again but only to the same depth as the weeds. It needed to get deeper. And finally, some seed falls on good soil where there is no barrier to how deep the roots can grow. Depth is a key to this parable. And it's exactly the same with us. The deeper God's word gets into us, the better. Putting it another way, if we do not work at getting God's word deep down inside us, we are in danger of having Satan steal our faith away, of throwing away our faith during tough times or having our faith choked with the worries and cares of this world. And this is a major thrust of the parable. How deep is the word of God getting into your life? Now, as your pastor, as your minister, I dream that everyone who comes through the door on every Sunday will go home during the week and pick up the Bible. 
Many of my colleagues would say that's an unrealistic dream, but it's still a dream. I mean, I don't know how you pick this up (laughs) during the week. You know, you might have a regular pattern where you just read cover to cover, or you might have a study aid, or, you know, you might be working through the Gospels. However you do it, I dream and I pray. Sometimes it's for selfish reasons because, uh, how can we put this bluntly? A church which has people reading the Bible regularly causes a lot less problems for the minister. (laughs) Purely selfish, okay? (laughs) But even that aside, joking aside, you know, if you're reading and engaging with the Word of God, if you're getting it down deep, then you are like seed that's planted in the good soil. If you're not, you run the risk of Satan snatching your faith away of giving up when times are tough or having your faith choked by the busyness of this world. And this brings us then to consider each of the soils, the four soils. And so we come to the first soil and the first soil is the path, the hard soil. Verse 15. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And here we have a useful insight to Satan's strategy against Christ. So how is the devil trying to undermine, to attack Jesus? Well, he failed with a full-on direct temptation in the wilderness. And Satan's minions, his demons and evil spirits, are no match for Jesus with a face-to-face confrontation. So Satan's settled on a twofold attack. First of all, there's his frontal attack where Satan uses the Pharisees and the religious leaders to undermine Jesus. And that's what the the last two chapters, chapters 2 and 3, are all about confrontations with religious leaders. That's Satan trying to undermine the work of Jesus. That's his first strategy. And his second strategy is, as the word of God is being preached by Jesus, he is scuttling around, snatching the words away from those with hard hearts. He is not passive while Jesus is preaching to the crowd. Satan is snatching God's word from those who have hard hearts. And this is still Satan's strategy today. On the one hand, he seeks to discredit Jesus and his church every way he can. And we see this in the media, by word of mouth, in popular culture, Satan's attacked on the credibility of Jesus. But while this is happening, he's also stealing away God's words from those whose heart are hardened to the good news. People hear the good news and Satan snatches them away. Now, a powerful prayer Christians can make that will make a huge difference is this prayer here. Soften this person's hard heart. Open them to receive the good news. It's a prayer I hope we've all prayed at some stage. It's a powerful prayer. Praying along these lines is like putting a scarecrow in a field or a air cannon in a vineyard. It keeps the birds away long enough for the seed to settle and to make some depth. So can I encourage you? you, People will be coming to your mind. A person will have come to your mind while while I'm speaking. And your prayer for them for this week and for longer is, Lord, soften their hard heart so that they can hear God's word. Put that air cannon in the vineyard. Scare the birds away. So that's the hard soil. We'll come next to the shallow soil. Others uh, like seed sown on rocky places. Hear the word at once, receive it with joy. 
But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So we can imagine the farmer sowing his seed and the seed falling on a part of the field that looks okay, but just underneath there are stones and large rocks. The seed sprouts and sends down roots and a seedling raises to the surface and thrives for a time. But as soon as there's any stress, lack of water, excess heat, the plant quickly withers. And so a young man is invited to an alpha course by a good friend. And a whole new world opens up to this young man. He had no idea Jesus was so compelling, so unique. He devours the recommended reading and he stays up late talking to new Christian friends. This young man makes a commitment to Christ and is ready to sign up for everything at church he can until his girlfriend starts to dig her toes in and she's not very happy. I didn't sign up for this God squad stuff. You're different and I'm not happy. You're going to have to make a choice. So trouble comes into this young man's life because of his faith. And at work, people find out that he's going to church and they start to mock him. And this young man has so desperately wanted to fit in at work and he's not quite sure whether he's going to get that promotion. So persecution comes. Trouble and persecution. And he falls away. Back to his girlfriend. Back to being one of the boys at work. Back to being lost. And we've all seen it, haven't we? A variation of this same story. When tough times come, some people abandon their faith. You know, it breaks my heart when I... And I think we've all known someone whose loved one, maybe it's a mum or a dad and their child's died early, you know, for, tragically. And they cry out to God, if you had only been here, my son would have never died. And they walk away from God. And we know people like that, don't we? You just change the circumstances and, and it breaks our heart and, and, and we don't want to be judgmental. We want to just pray them back into the kingdom. But... Has the word of God gone deep enough, you know, so that when trouble and persecution comes, we don't abandon our faith? So that's the challenge of the shallow soil. Uh, Next, we come to the thorny soil. Verse 18. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And we all know this soil. Modern life is so much busier, busier with a multitude of good ways to spend our time and money and resources, let alone the temptations on our screens and those that are just a swipe of a screen away. And on top of this, there is the deceit that the world spreads at every opportunity. Happiness, happiness, well, it's all about more. More money, more for your kids, more opportunities and you can't miss out. And so we have the deceit of more and wealth. And so we hear, you know, I'm sorry I haven't been to men's ministry for the last few months. With this downturn, I've had to spend evenings at work to try and sort things out. Or we hear, I'm sorry, Pastor, I haven't been to church lately. It clashes with my daughter's hockey rep team. I'm sure you'll understand. It's hard to hear that. Now sometimes, a confession here, sometimes I feel like Robbie the Robot. Do you know Robbie the Robot? Am I showing my age, lost in space, black and white? Robbie the Robot, his, his, his only goal in life was to protect the young Will Robinson. And if danger came, do you know what he did? His vacuum cleaner arms would go like this, 
Danger, Will Robertson, danger. And some very tacky alien would come out behind an artificial rock. It used to scare the living daylights out of me when I was a young lad. But sometimes as a pastor, I feel a little bit like Robbie the robot. And I want to wave my vacuum cleaner arms around when I hear those comments. Pastor, I'm sorry, I'm not at church. My child's on the threat team for the winter. Or, you know, work's so tough. I've had to work so many long hours, I can't come to the men's group. It's, it's hard to put into words. But Jesus puts it into words so well. Be very careful that you do not let the cares and the worries and the deceitful of their wealth choke out the word of God in your life. It's all a bit doom and gloom though, isn't it? So fortunately we have a fourth soil, the good soil. Verse 20, Jesus says, Others like seeds sown on good soil hear the word, accept it and produce a crop. 30, 60 or even 100 times that what was sown. And the good soil allows the roots to go down deep, to send up shoots that become strong and resilient and bear much fruit. And the numbers Jesus mentions here are supernatural numbers. 30, 60 or even 100 times, these are not normal numbers for an average yield. But they are a reflection on how when God's word gets in deep, the fruit will overflow and overflow and overflow. And this is my prayer for each of us, including myself, that we will be the good soil and allow God's word, his seed, to get down deep. Now much more can be said, and next week when we go on to the other parables, I'll be drawing on this parable and tying some of these thoughts together again. But for now, I want to to finish, tie these up. This parable answers two core questions. Firstly, what's the central important business of Christ? It was the same then as it is today. It's to preach, to teach, to share God's word. It wasn't to heal and cast out demons. These were important parts of Jesus' ministry, but second, they reinforced his message. And now the baton has been passed on to us. So what's our core business? Is to teach to preach, to share God's word, whether we do it from a pulpit, in a small group, one-on-one. There are all sorts of ways through social media. We communicate God's word. We sow the seeds. We lift Jesus up so that he can draw all people to him. Everything else involved in our church, rhythm and dance, parenting toolbox, food banks, social services, these are good and wonderful but must never supplant the spreading, the preaching, the teaching of God's word. These reinforce the message, but they don't take over the message. Not only is God's word our priority, but that we've seen that not everyone responds to the gospel in the same way. Not even Jesus got a 100% success rate. Sometimes we think if we got the right person with the right message and we filled this auditorium with people outside the church and we prayed and preached up a storm, 100% of people would come to Christ. But it's never going to happen because Christ was that perfect man at the perfect time with the perfect message and not everybody responded to him. And so we need to be encouraged that when we do speak God's word, not everyone will hear it in the way that we would like. But that's okay. We just keep sowing the word. We just keep sowing the seed and let Christ take on the responsibility of having it take root and go deep and to grow. And our final take-home is a caution and an encouragement. 
unless we get God's word deep into our lives, we are making ourselves vulnerable to losing our faith. If we don't pick up our Bibles and ask Jesus to show himself to us, and that's important, we don't just pick up the Bible and start reading. We pick up the Bible and we might say, Lord, this is a big book. This is a hard book. (laughs) Show me where you are in this book. Show me your ways. And when we do, Christ will get his word down deep. Because if we don't, we're in danger of having Satan steal Christ from us. Or we're in danger of abandoning Christ when troubles come. Or we're in danger of having Christ choked out by the busyness of our lives. But, without a doubt, as Christ reveals himself to us in this book, we will bear much fruit and bring great delight to the Father heart of God. Let's pray.